Facebook and see the stuff I post. So um, the reason I don't talk about Paul all that much is because I'm trying to correct the, um, the, 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 the natural tendency of Protestant Christianity. We, we tend to talk about Paul more than we talk about anything else in Protestant Christianity. And so I figure when people are coming here, you all have been in church for a while. We don't have a lot of people here who are new Christians. Uh, actually, probably almost no people here are new Christians. You probably heard a lot from Paul um, and not maybe a lot from prophets or from the Gospels, which tend to be difficult to preach, preach on, especially when Jesus starts talking and really messes with our interpretation of Jesus. So um, I've focused on that, but there are times when I go, man, I should probably just talk about Paul a little bit. And uh, I just had such, when I read this passage, I had such a clear picture in my mind. This Colossians 3 passage talks about putting on new clothes. I had such a clear picture in my mind of, of a time in my life when this was clear. I said, I, I just can't pass this up. So if you're looking for the sermon about the man who stores up uh, treasures, uh, the, the abridged version is, um, savings accounts are good, but if you focus on them, God will take them from you. Okay, that's it. That's what that passage is about. Let's move on. Um, Colossians 3. When I was growing, I already heard about my softball tendencies. But earlier than softball was once a year when I got together with the people of my church and I did something that I truly loved. I played football. And this once a year date was not a random day. It was, of course, Thanksgiving. Most recently, I played a turkey bowl with the Wendell family, and I woke up and felt like I had been hit by a bus. But in those days, I felt no such pain, because I was young and uninhibited. I bounced. So imagine me, at 6 o'clock in the morning, 9 or 10 years old, donning 14 to 16 layers of clothing, usually covered by a Bears jersey of a player that played in the mid-90s that I didn't know who it was, and going out onto the field to play with the adults because most of the time we didn't have a kid's game. And uh, one out of every 10 plays, they'd call a route, okay, Jonathan, you, you do a five-yard you know, five hook and then, and then we'll throw you the ball you know, and I'd catch it about 1% of the time, but, but I would still get insanely sweaty and insanely messy. This is the natural turkey bowl life. This is because at the turkey bowl, the ground is almost inevitably frozen initially, but we had good luck that it was often warm, and so the ground would thaw, and it would turn from, you know, gray, blue-gray grass to mud, and you would be covered in mud. And you'd have mud caked in your cleats so deep you couldn't even... And you would just be the epitome of messy. And then on uh, Thanksgiving afternoon, we would go over to my Aunt Marilyn's house. This was the other part of the tradition. And my dad came from a family that was very clean, but Marilyn epitomized this uh, for their family, for the next generation. Uh, to give you some context, um, there was one time when my next-door neighbor called the police because my grandmother was watching us 
and she thought that my grandmother was hanging from the chandelier because she couldn't bear to not dust it when she saw that it was dusty. And the police showed up and they're like, well, I heard somebody's hanging from the chandelier. No, that was just more and more she was just dusting, right? She ironed her sheets. She ironed her sheets, okay? So Marilyn's house was much like this, okay? And as a young man, the thing that was most notable of Marilyn's house was the sterlingly clean, pristine, white carpet. And I, you think you know where this story's going, but you don't. Because if I ever had spilled something on Marilyn's carpet, I wouldn't be here today. You understand. And when I started thinking about that transition, when I would get home to my house, and my mom would be baking pies, and I would, I would, you know, like the first layer of clothes would co come off at the door, the kitchen door. Like I wasn't even allowed in. Like layers four through six, you could like go into the house and take those off in the bathroom. But your first layer never made it past the door. It had to go through like the cellar into the laundry room immediately <laughs> because it was covered in mud, covered. And I think sometimes, what if the turkey bowl game had gone long? And I had gone straight from the turkey bowl to Marilyn's house. How inappropriate. How vastly affronting. How almost, well certainly disrespectful, but almost heretical <laughs> it would be to wear my turkey bowl clothes on Marilyn's white carpet. A picture of me, a little older my dad and my uncle, and some guy who just always came to the turkey bowl and never came to our church, <laughs> and his son. If I had showed up to Marilyn's house looking like this, it would have been a bad look, a bad scene. And in fact, I know that I would have been loved and welcomed in anyway and provided that I, like, hosed off, but really... I shouldn't have been let in. You know those restaurants that you go to where you have to have a coat? If you don't have a coat, they give you like a double XL coat to wear. There's a lot of examples of this in my life, but this one I think is the best. Because the Thanksgiving table was no place for turkey bowl clothes. And I think this is the message that Paul is trying to get at in Colossians 3. That our old clothes, caked in mud from our travels, some of the mud, we didn't even get there. Some of it was just splashed onto us as we ran past. It's not all our fault, but our dirty clothes, they're just not going to work. And this metaphor was so clear Paul, Paul's probably referencing something that actually happened in the ancient world, which is when you got baptized, you actually showed up to your baptism. We've talked about the whole baptismal ritual. It's much longer. It's 40 days of fasting and all this stuff. But when you showed up to your baptism, they stripped you completely naked. And then you got into the waters of baptism, and you were baptized. When you got out, you were given new clothes. Totally new clothes. 
And actually the Jewish traditions till today, if you're, if you're an Orthodox Jew, you can go to Israel and you can be, like, have the same procedure. Like you can strip off 100% and be baptized naked as you were born and be given new clothes. This is the metaphor for us. And I think that sometimes we miss the metaphor because we get focused on the middle passage of Colossians 3 where it starts, starts listing off vices. It's called a vice list. That's a, that's a, a term. But Paul has many vice lists. He says, don't do these things. Bop, 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 bop. And in Western culture, we tend to be rules-oriented. And so when we see lists of things, vice lists, we are, our attention is drawn to that. But I think that Paul's vice list here is actually just to reiterate the point that he's making earlier that he makes at the end. See, if you read the whole passage, and I'm not going to read the whole thing right now, I'm just going to summarize it for you. Herm did a great job of reading it. I don't need to do it again. But oftentimes Paul will do this thing where he goes, he'll, he'll make his point, and then he'll give clarifying points, and then he'll make his point again. And you can kind of, it's like a burger, right? You can grab the top and bottom bun. You go, okay, that's, I know what this is about. And the middle part is just supporting it. That's what Paul's doing here. But we get so stuck on the middle that we miss the metaphor. So I think Paul's only saying three things. Literally, just three things, really, really simply. The vice list just helps to iterate these three things. Number one, set your mind on things above. If you have your Bible, you can write this in there next to it. Set your mind on things above. We'll talk about that a little bit. That's the top bun. Two, how do you strip off your old clothes and put on your new clothes? And three, the summarizing point, which ties it all together, Christ is the only thing that matters. Okay? Set your mind on things above. Strip off your old nature, your old clothes, and put on new clothes. And Christ is all that matters. So let's unpack these. First one, set your mind on things above. Turn to your neighbor really briefly and ask, what are some things that are above? Just like, one minute. Thanks, Eli. What are some things that are above? So above, word association, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Anybody? Ceiling, anybody? No? Heaven? How many people at some point mentioned heaven or something about heaven? Oh, not that many. Wow, okay. So when you, when you hear, if you hear this, if you hear this verse, it talks about set your mind on things above, not things on the earth. I think our common, uh, 
first jump snap thing, maybe we didn't do it because maybe you know that I was going to try and trick you or something, but is heaven. Think about heaven, don't think about earth. That's how this happens. That's what, that's what we're taught. And actually, that's been, a, that's been an issue with conversations, even within our church. It's been something that has happened and, and come up and debated and things like that in cafe and other places. People talking about, well, John, you talk a lot about earth, things that happen on earth, but you don't talk a lot about eternity. Uh, yeah, that's right. There's a reason for that, and it, it's this. I think that when we, when we think of above and below, we are directional people. Okay, Above is above, meaning up. But what we have to understand is that the, the ancient, uh, or the, not the ancient, but the first century Jews that were listening to this, when they think of above, they weren't necessarily thinking about an actual um, hierarchy of the, of the earth. Like, okay, heaven's here, and then here's like space, and then here's like us, and like and down here there's like hell, right? Like, they, they think about this much more, uh, let me try and do this well, I can't, but if this is how it is, they flip it sideways. So when they're saying above, they're saying forward, okay? And so what now, if I said set your minds on things that are forward, you'd probably think of different things than things that are above. You'd probably think of things that are going to happen in the future. And ultimately, when we talk about eternity, I think that's what Paul is getting at here. So when we're talking about, okay, set your mind on things above, what should you be thinking about? What should you be spending your time on? What should you be uh, investing your energy and your finances into? And Jesus talks about, in his, in his part of the lectionary text, he talks about, hey, there are ways to, to, to live for the future that are not good. You can live for the future wrong, but you can also live for the future right. And so the, 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 the first century Jews, they, when they think things above, they're going, okay, yes, all of the things that we thought of, grace and love and mercy and all of those things that probably came up, all that, yes. But also, they look, they're looking forward to a time that's reflected in Scripture, a time that will come when Jesus will come back and the world will be made right again, where we won't have greed and idolatry and all these things, which lead to systemic problems like mass shootings, etc. And that's just one example that's just fresh. So I can, I can point to that one. But early Christians didn't have the same concept of eternity that we have. E- even that would be a distortion if I just left it there. Because when we think about eternity, most people think about heaven. When I get to heaven, look at a hymnal, okay? There are way more songs about heaven than there are about a new kingdom of God. But ultimately, that's really what the gospel's about. That's the hope. I'm not trying to debunk heaven for you and tell you it's not a thing. I'm telling you that the, the, the intermediary time before Jesus comes back and rules on earth and the, the new Jerusalem is raised uh, or lowered from, from heaven and, and is seated on the earth and, and Jesus rules over all creation, that's what they're looking forward to. Heaven was, in a sense, a nice intermediary waiting room until God finally raised 
all, raised in two ways, raised all the people who had died and raised the systems of oppression, R-A-I-Z-E, raised, overturned, destroyed the systems of oppression. And that's why I think sometimes we really misunderstand the book of Revelation. I tried to do a little bit of that earlier in the, in the, in the uh, spring, but ultimately I think we misunderstand Revelation because we, we missed what the point of the gospel was, or, or what the hope of the gospel was. And I could go on and on and on and on and on about this, and I'm not going to. All I'm going to say is that if you want to look forward to heaven, that's great. That's wonderful. But the new creation, that's what the, new, that's what the first century Jews, that's what they're looking forward to. They're looking forward to when Jesus comes back and rules on earth. That's why they say your kingdom come here, not your kingdom I'll go there. Your kingdom come, your will be done here, not there. Otherwise, they would just be praying, Lord, take my life so I can be in the sweet by and by. And so we have to think about this. This is Jesus really throws a monkey wrench into this when he says that the kingdom of God is near, it's here right now, and it's also not yet. But Paul, he says, set your mind on things above. Think about what's to come, the new creation that's coming. Think about that when you're acting on earth. And in order to think about that, you have to understand that the clothes that you're wearing right now that are really messy with the stuff of this world are not going to uh, be appropriate for that new kingdom. That's where we get the second one. Strip off, strip off your old nature for your new clothes. Just like my turkey bowl attire, would have really, really disrespected Miss Aunt Marilyn's carpet. She was also Miss Marilyn because she was also an art teacher. Um, we are called in this life to prepare to dress properly for the new life that is coming. And it is actually impossible to do fully. It's kind of the paradox of Christianity. You can't fully put on new clothes. You'll always have a dirty sock or something. Or, you know, maybe you'll put on new clothes one day and then you'll trip in the mud on your way to Thanksgiving. And that happens sometimes to me. But it's a lot easier when you don't have to start from scratch. It's a lot easier when you can have something to build on. When you have taken off a lot of your old nature and so this is where Paul goes into, how do you do this well? And he talks about sexual immorality, and he talks about greed, and he talks about fornication, and he talks about passion, and he, and he talks about anger, and he talks about wrath, and he talks about abusive language. And he says God's wrath, God's hapak, God's, God's uh, uh, not anger in the way that humans get angry, but, but God's uh, righteous frustration, for lack of a better, God's, God's action judgmental action is going to come against those systems that promote sexual immorality and greed and passion and anger and wrath and abusive language. And I think that if we, if we separate them out and we go, okay, so now Paul, we like to do this too. Now Paul's talking about sex. Okay, now he's done. Now he's talking about talking. Okay, now he's done. Now he's talking... Paul's talking about the same thing. He's talking about one thing. When he talks about ab abusive language and greed and sexual immorality, he's saying 
All of these things lead to one thing. What makes these things bad, if you look at the core of them, is that they undoubtedly lead to division. All of them. They undoubtedly lead to division. And, and that, I think, when you talk about taking off your old nature for your new clothes, what we're supposed to be looking at is, is this shirt, is this causing division or, or not? Because when you talk about sexual immorality, the worst part about sexual immorality is not that God has this irrational hate of sex which is what the church has taught for a long time in some way or, or another way. It's that when sex is carried out in outside of the proper context, almost always pain and division follow. Almost always pain and division follow that. When abusive language is used in the church, almost always pain and division follow. When passion, when greed, when, I mean, pick anything from the list, almost always... Division will follow those things. And Paul speaks to this in other parts of his letters where he goes, hey, like, okay, so, so uh, uh, I got, you know, I got a problem with this guy who's sleeping with his mother-in-law's, like, sister or something. I don't remember what it is, but it's like some member of his family. Like, I got a problem with that because if, unless he stops, he's going to divide everyone. He specifies why it's an issue. Same thing later on, he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, and people have a lot of uh, thoughts about, oh, why did God ruin Sodom and Gomorrah? But Jesus actually makes it very simple. He goes, Sodom and Gomorrah, their problem was they were divisive to their strangers. You, they, they didn't welcome people. We read that passage a couple weeks ago. It says it would be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than, this, than the town that doesn't welcome people because that was Sodom and Gomorrah's problem, that, they didn't, that their welcome was abuse and violence sexual violence. That was their problem. And so when you, when you, when you look at this, you see the, the common thread that's going through Paul's goes, oh, I get it. The clothes that I'm wearing cannot cause my brothers and sisters to stumble, and they cannot cause and sow seeds of division. And so if we're looking forward to the new kingdom, where there will be peace, where, we'll, where we will be in unity, where people, as Revelation 7, 9 says, will be from every tribe, tongue, and nation together, our clothes of division and polarity have no place. And so finally he offers the hope, right? Because Paul very rarely does not offer hope. Unless you're like 2 Corinthians. They really get the short end of the stick, you know what I mean? but that's because they already had 1 Corinthians. He came back at them. But anyway, a little Bible joke for you guys. You guys all read the Bible last year, right? You guys all finished Immerse, right? Okay, great, okay. Um, so the third thing, what, what, what Paul talks about at the very core, the underlying principle, his hope, because here's the thing. If, we're, if we have to ask the question of what part of my old self, what part of my human nature does not belong in the kingdom of God, some of the things really easy. The way that you just drove when you were real mad because somebody got in a crash on 80 does not belong in the kingdom of God, right? Some of those things we know right away. But other things we ask the question, of, oh man, like how, what about competition? Like friendly, healthy competition, does that belong? What about difference in theological opinion? Does that belong? I mean, 
doesn't that create division? Maybe I should just not think about anything. What Paul says, he says, look, at the core, Jesus, all that matters. Jesus is the only thing that matters. And, and I think that that can be used in an abusive way. We say, oh, Jesus loves me, so I'm going to do whatever I want. It's not what I'm saying. Don't hear that. If you heard that, it's not what I said. No, it's that Jesus is all that matters. He becomes the one unifying thing in a world which is inherently divisive. You could go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. She takes that, the apple, and she, she eats it, and she gives it to Adam, right? And so he's culpable. He's 100% culpable. He knows exactly what that fruit was. He did it just as much as she did it. And then what do they do? He immediately goes, she did it. And then their kids, Cain and Abel, one of them kills the other one. Like, I don't like you, right? Division. Jesus is the one that undoes all of that. He says, actually, Paul figures this out. He goes, actually, because of who Jesus is, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is, we find out that the one unifying thing, the one thing that we can set our clothes against as a measuring stick, the one thing that truly shows us how to look for things that are above or in the future is Jesus. See, Jesus, he does a lot of things. I'm going to wrap up here. He transcends theological differences and dissonance and all earthly creations, like the narrative of racial difference or socioeconomics. Jesus is above all of those things, and he transcends them. Second thing, Jesus, he provides a bridge between communities that are at odds. He provides a bridge between the rich and the poor. He provides the bridge between others who don't have and those who have so that they can seek the betterment of one another. He really, I mean, think about this. Jesus, if we actually focus on just the person of Christ and what Christ has done, if we strip off the old clothes of deciding who's right and who's wrong, there's a lot of things that we got to strip off, but there's a really, really easy new shirt to put on. So I'm going to invite Stephanie up. She's going to do communion for us so that we can embody this. But I want you just to close your eyes for a moment with me. I want to encourage us this morning not out of any one sin like would have been easy to just look at one thing in the list, in the vice list and go settle on that one. Focus on it. Not out of any one sin but out of systemic capital S sin. I want to encourage us out of that. Out of the systems that promote the vice list. I want you to think about the perspective change if you did not view the world as the haves and the have-nots.
if you acknowledge the beauty of diversity, but not the value system that we have been given that says that people who are black or brown do not have the same value? What if you could acknowledge the diversity without falling into that trap? What if you were able to transcend the difference between Republican and Democrat and just wash people's feet? Or liberal and conservative? Or citizen and undocumented? Or fundamentalist and contextualist? Or syncretist? Or men and women? Or Jew and Gentile and barbarian and see them? Move from this world with its rags caked in mud into a kingdom without borders where every tribe, tongue, and nation can worship God and the Lamb. It will take stripping down some things. But I believe that it's worth it. Amen.